Welcome to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host and founder of the Gontrepreneur podcast, Shango Los. You've not heard my voice here in a while. Back in April of 2016, I took a break from Gontrepreneur to focus on consulting for new cannabis startups and travel the country to get a better understanding about what was happening in cannabis states. I've now launched a new podcast called Shaping Fire. You can find it at shapingfire.com or wherever you download podcasts. During episodes of Shaping Fire, I interview the cannabis industry's top professionals in cannabis business, health, and public policy, very much like I did for the first 54 episodes of the Gontrepreneur Podcast. If you've not heard those 54 episodes, be sure to check them out at gontrepreneur.com in the podcast section. Today, though, Gontrepreneur has invited me to share with you this week's episode of Shaping Fire. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you subscribe to Shaping Fire to listen to more episodes in the future. And thanks to Gontrepreneur for inviting me back to spend this time with you. Trimming is a constant companion of the cannabis community. Since the earliest days of commercial cannabis, growers have been trimming their cannabis flowers to increase their bag appeal and clean up the flavor profile from being overly green tasting. Trimming styles change depending on where you live and what your final use of the flowers will be. One thing for sure, though, trimming is very time-intensive, and it's hard on your hands and usually your back and butt, too. It is true, though, that it is a necessary step in producing fine cannabis, and both home growers and commercial growers need to get the job done one way or another. You are listening to the Shaping Fire podcast, and I am your host, Shango Los. My guest today is Kristen Baldwin, Director of Operations of Green Mountain Harvest. They are a mobile trimming company that sends out teams of between 1 and 15 or so people to trim home grows and large-scale commercial grows, too. Today, we'll talk about the different styles of trimming, their favorite scissors to use, and get a better understanding of their business plan and how they make money in this area that many in cannabis consider a difficult necessity. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Hey, Shango. Great to be here. So glad you could make the time to join us. So, you know, the cannabis market is exploding, of course, as licensees and patients and even just everyday citizens are beginning to grow. What are the kinds of clients that you find calling you for trimming services? You know, it's interesting. We see clients all the way from large-scale commercial growers who have several locations in which we trim with teams of, you know, 15 to 20 trimmers several days a week to personal growers in their homes who have just a few plants. So really it's a it's a huge range. It's probably, you know, it probably feels like two different departments because of the demands of your of your big commercial growers, the uh, the expediency and the regularity and and how after once the contract is set up, it's kind of plug and play versus your, you know, your personal trimming services where, you know, you might just be at somebody's house for a day or two and and so you kind of have to create that relationship anew with that person way differently than the commercial clients. For sure. And, you know, to that effect, we make sure that the people we send to our personal grow clients are our supervisors. They're our, our best trimmers. They're our fastest. And, and also they're in a position to sort of educate in the home as the client wants us to or doesn't want us to. They, they may want to sit with the trimmer. They may not. It's really up to them how involved in the process they are and how closely they work with the team. 
Yeah, I can imagine that. I can imagine that there's a lot more customer service. Actually, it's probably really weird too to be in some people's homes, right? I mean, that's a, that's awfully intimate. And if they're growing, maybe sometimes they're a little sketchy about having people in their homes. And then, heck, you know, if they're patients, some patients are, you know, they're living in some rough situations sometimes. I can imagine that's a very colorful environment for your team. Yeah, you know, what we find is that it's really just great people who generally are either caregivers for them for their own needs or caregivers for a friend or, or family or a group of patients and they're they're genuine, kind individuals who just really need a service. Sometimes, especially with the older folks, it's just that they're not able to manage it themselves. You know, with some folks it's that they're new. It, it just depends on the situation. Some folks are just not able to physically take care of the plants themselves. So there's sometimes that we go do har- harvesting and gardening. We can move clones around. It's really, you know, a, a fit-to-your-need kind of service, especially in that circumstance. And, and really, all, even all the way up to the commercial grow, it it multiplies out in the same way. We use the same formula regardless of where we are. I can actually imagine, I mean, I'm a patient and all, but my, my hands still work fine and I can do my own trimming, but I hate trimming, right? Right. And so, and so, you know, if, if, if you were in my state, I think I would just call because my time is better spent, you know, recording a podcast or, or calling an advertiser instead of spending my time trimming. And so I think that, you know, it makes, I, I would expect that you have a lot of people who certainly can, but it's just not how they prefer to spend their time. That's exactly it. And and also, I mean, that's even true in the commercial spaces. It's not that they couldn't hire and manage that staff. It's that they prefer not to. It's that they have enough on their hands just managing growing the plants. And it's a completely different skill set. I mean, that's the other thing. It Just because you know how to grow doesn't mean you know how to manicure. Yeah. And And interestingly, we find some of the best trimmers come from industries like cosmetology school uh, graduates, for example, make excellent marijuana trimmers, <laughs> as you can imagine. And they're, they're the fastest that we've seen and the most deft with the smaller smaller work, which, you know, some of it can be quite meticulous. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you charge by weight or time? We charge per person per hour. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so based on the size of the team that we send you and the number of supervisors versus trimmers, that calculates an hourly rate. We don't charge any administrative fees or anything weird on top of that. And, you know, on a daily basis, that gets observed by the grower, whether that's a personal grower or a huge commercial grow. They see the same tablet that says, this is how long we were here. This is who was here. This is how much it costs you. So we try and keep it as, you know, transparent and without much room for error. I find that doing it by weight... It just kind of lends to, it to a to a lot of variance and and ways that things can go askew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, then and then you have to change the price for dry or wet, and how dry exactly. is it? Or, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I can see that be a lot of malarkey. Well, yeah. I, I'm sure that I'm not the only one listening to you who's curious about a ballpark figure for what this would cost. And I also figure that you probably have got a wide range of pricing from like, you know, your bulk commercial clients to somebody, you know, who's a personal grower. So let's say um, that somebody's just got, you know, your, your simple legal six person grow. And 
and they've got, you know, very, you know, moderately sized plant. Let's say everything's like medium, right? So, right. so what would I expect to it to cost for, to have one or two of your people come and trim out my, my six plants? You know, I think that it would really be just a few hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be a day of work for one or two people. And, you know, if it's six really, really productive plants, like a, a big, big fat indica versus a sativa that's going to have a lot fewer, smaller buds that are further apart, that would make a difference in how many hours it would take. But generally, we wouldn't book more than a day. Mm-hmm. All of our personal grow clients, I've never really seen it go over more than two days, unless the objective is for us to come and cut the plants down on one day and do the harvesting and defanning, and then let it dry and come back and do the trimming on another day, which is, you know, quite often how it goes. So it could be two days, but it might only be four to six hours of work on each day. Yeah, I get that. I get that. And to, and for me to think, okay, my, my six plants go from being cut and hung, which I would do, to being, you know, nice and in jars done for a few hundred bucks, I'd be like in. You know, right. <laughs> I'd be like, that, right. most that, people would. Yeah, totally. So, you know, yeah. there's a lot of variety in trimming styles, you know, like, like, you know, if you're, if you're trimming for bag appeal, it's going to be a lot right. tighter. Um, you know, where I live in, uh, out here on Vashon Island, um, you know, people leave their flowers really shaggy because they're like, look at all those trichomes on there. You know, I'd rather have those on my flower than, you know, in the trim, uh, which, you know, you normally go somewhere else. Um, sure. what sort of client intake do you perform to make sure that your team team is providing trimming that matches the client's expectations. Right. So so every time we get a new client, there's an intake they go through that sort of talks about, do you twi- trim your stuff wet? Do you trim dry? Um, are, is this just us prepping a large amount of cannabis to go into a trim machine, which is one job, you know, that mm-hmm. we do for really, really big clients? Um, is this, are you going to make... Uh, some sort of extract out of this. Are you extracting in some way? Are you making hash? Are you, what are you doing? You know, that's, that's the, the end game sort of can dictate the trim in some cases. And then all the way down to, I want a loose leafy trim, maybe for something like a caviar roll where you want to take all your excess keef and, and re-roll those buds in it. So you, the leaves are something for it to stick to. Uh, we have some clients who are absolutely, you know, because their medical clients are on a, such a tight budget, they want to make sure there's not even any little tiny crow's feet or anything left on the buds that's extra stem because that's a lot of time what the client is looking for, you know, the end user. Uh, so as the kind of intermediary, our big deal is you. we will do it exactly how you want. It's why we have the supervisors there who can interface directly with the client and, and get really specific information on, on what the team is supposed to do. And then also over time, you know, because a lot of places we go back over and over, um, they'll develop a rapport and then it becomes, you know, almost fluid as a new member of the team comes on to really get them up to speed on that particular style for that place fairly quickly. 
Right on. That makes a lot of sense. Let's let's dive in the, um, one aspect of that a little more uh, specific. So so let's say that you've got three clients. One's going to make everything into bag hash. Uh, one person is going to process it, uh, you know, in a in a you know a BHO tower or something, and the right. third person is going to you know just just roll it up and smoke it. So right. so how would you trim differently for those three clients? Okay, so for someone who's making, you know, doing a BHO extract, that may be, they may be wanting uh, a very heavy trim product, and that may be all they're using to make their BHO. They may be then separating out the bud, or they may be doing what's called a nug run, which would be that extraction using the buds as well. So that would be the point of clarification there, would obviously be, are you you know, is your main product goal for the for the hash going to be the trim or the trim plus the bud? Uh, what do you you know? Which thing do you want? And then, and then if they really want the everything together, the Phoenix tears, then, um, then it would just be shucking essentially, getting it off of the stem and ready for you know processing, and that would probably happen wet, mm-hmm. and and you wouldn't do much more to it after that. But for somebody who's going to, you know, smoke the buds themselves, then typically we would do something more of a defan uh, first in the harvest, flip, and then and then trim it down dry because you can get a much finer trim on a dry product. It's I think, you know, it's it's a more time-consuming manicure, but ultimately you're getting a lot more um, flavor that's solely from the bud and you're, you'll lose that kind of hay um, taste or smell a lot more quickly if you trim it that way. I remember the first time I was involved with a, a, a grow for a, a, a large CO2 run and right. um, it was the first time I had done shucking, right? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and you know, up to that point, I had always just trimmed for personal smoke, right? Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I'm, I was watching, I was being mentored and kind of learning how to do this. And I, and I saw these folks just like, you know, shuck it right off, off the branch and it drops into the bin. And I'm yeah. like, no effing Ooh. way. You know, <laughs> you're all like, you're like, you know, so, no. somewhere in between, um, is, is that disrespectful <laughs> to the flower to, right. oh my God, this is going to be the easiest trim ever. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And you're never really sure which thing is true when you're doing that process. Well, especially uh, if you're working for somebody else, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, it's a big responsibility to get, take somebody's hard work over several weeks and, and then, you know, take it from that state to a usable end product. And that's really the intermediary that the trimmer performs in a lot of cases, especially if it's not going through an extraction process. You know, if, if, if the trimmer mangles the buds, they mangle the buds. And that's that's it. If they're squashed, they're squashed. It's, <laughs> and not, it's not like you can suddenly uh, you know, replace them. It's like, oh, sorry. No. <laughs> no, there's no like little like bike tire pump that you can stick back into it and sort of like, oops. You know, once you've squished it, it's it's over. And, and I think that that's why it's such an intense process. Also, these guys are working in um, – under extreme scrutiny. And that's the other thing to keep in mind on the commercial level is that we'll have a team of 10 people. They'll have, you know, three or four cameras on them at all times. Uh, everything has to be 
meticulously weighed and accounted for because of the systems here that are extremely rigorous <laughs> in managing this whole market, both on the medical and retail side. So, you know, it's it's a lot of responsibility and, and we don't take that lightly, nor does anyone really in the whole chain of process that's involved with this on a commercial level. Yeah. And you have to take it really seriously. <laughs> <laughs> right on. We're going to take our first short break and be right back. You are listening to Shaping Fire and my guest today is Kristen Baldwin of Green Mountain Harvest. If you like podcasts like Shaping Fire, chances are that you will like audiobooks too. Pretty much, audiobooks are like podcasts, except with less stuttering, better production quality, and more targeted topics. Yeah, I know. I make audiobooks sound better than a podcast, and you know, maybe they are. But I get you. I like podcasts too. I like to learn from people talking to me while I'm doing something else, like you know, driving or cleaning my house or making dinner or even being at work, whatever. Here's the thing. Audible.com has an offer I want to tell you about. Right now, they are offering a trial of their audiobook service for absolutely free. You can go to shapingfire.com forward slash audible and you will get a free audiobook straight up. You can listen to it on your mobile device, on your computer, or you can download it and listen to it, you know, pretty much anywhere. It's really simple. You know, of course, they really want you to subscribe to their service forever and enjoy more and more audiobooks. But as cannabis users, you also know how this goes. The first one is free. They're going to hate I've said that. <laughs> but it's pretty great. You know, I listened recently to Smoke Signals by Martin Lee from ProjectCBD.org. Martin's book is a classic of cannabis advocacy. He explains the history of cannabis in America, uh, THC and CBD cannabis science, and why cannabis policy in America has gotten so jacked. You know, if you consider yourself a cannabis person, this book really is a must. Talking cannabis, we all sound radical just because we're talking about weed, but if you learn the history and science of cannabis, suddenly you become smart and trustworthy to people. The book was really incredible, and there's no doubt that Martin Lee is the real deal. You can get the book for free just for doing the trial. You know, if you don't want to listen to a cannabis book, that's cool too. There's everything else. There's sci-fi and history, biography. Hell, you can even listen to a book about card counting in blackjack. Whatever, it's all pretty rad. So here's the deal. Your first book is free. It's easy to sign up. It's easy to quit. But they do do a pretty good job making me want to stay every month. Just check it out. Go to shapingfire.com forward slash audible to find out more. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Los. And our guest this week is Kristen Baldwin, Director of Operations at Green Mountain Harvest. So in the first set, we talked a lot about kind of the idea of, of the trimming business and, and the kinds of people who hire you and, and actually how damn necessary it is in the new legal market. And, and it's funny because, you know, a lot of people have trimmed before. And so a lot of people have got their preferred method and their preferred scissors. And sure. so I'm like totally curious, you know, in online grower forms, it seems like everybody has their own favorite scissors. I myself like small spring loaded scissors with a curved tip. So, you know, so I can like get on in there in the flower. Yeah. But my growing mentor, he prefers tiny scissors 
scissors without a spring, but with really big hand openings. Do you hmm. find that that your team, like everybody likes their own style? Or is there a particular style that seems to really come out as being, you know, universally best by professionals? Sure. Yeah. So we... I think in the early days of Green Mountain Harvest, so that was like six years ago, they did experiment with several different styles of shearers. And what we've settled on, and and really we provide all of the tools through a supervisor kit that they carry in the field, we use the Hydro Farm curved blade uh, shearer, and we chose that one because for a few reasons. One, it's super affordable. We think it's a really good price point. The curved blade, kind of like you said, is is really what we think creates the the tightest um, tightest trim, and also it's it's the easiest on your wrist. We find because you're not curving your hand as often. The blade is curved, so you can have a straighter arm and allow the curve of the blade and then the twist of the plant rather than um, arcing your your wrist at a funny angle. And, you know, that, that makes me think about OSHA standards and just general right. worker health. You know, um, it, you're in this odd position because your company has the state level, but obviously cannabis is still illegal federally. You know, what kind of best practices have you put together for, you know, creating an environment that is, you know, ergonomically healthy for your yeah. trimmers, even though they've spent their entire day using their hands and probably sitting down, which is probably two of the worst things that you could be doing? Yeah, for sure. So... Actually, you know, we really, really made a point of keeping safety as a main priority for our team. And so to that effect, um, you know, we, at when they are hired, they're given a set of exercises for their wrists and their backs. Um, we also uh, have a, a system in place where our trimmers can sit or stand um, and they can go back and forth. So unless there's some really heavy space constraints that would disallow uh, somebody from being able to get up and, and, and choose to sit or stand, we encourage people to really take both of those options. And, and, you know, surprisingly, though OSHA is a federal organization, they have been great working with me directly um, over my years in this industry, regardless of the context and really, you know, come and educated us and had open dialogue with with the industry so yeah we're in a funny place <laughs> there's no there's no doubt about that uh, but you know our main goal is to create an environment for our trimmers that's healthy so that also involves not just an ergonomic situation but uh, some other things as well and to that effect it um it, it it we have some some other things masks if there's any kind of mold or mildew present we use a food grade brown butcher paper on the tables so that each environment is sterile um, our our trimmers all use a new set of gloves after each break um, so they are able to have you know left the building and come back in clean. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, do you have a daily team that's pretty much full-time or is it pretty much all part-timers who are on call? So all of our people are part-time. They are employees with us, which allows them to be covered under our workman's comp, uh, which is a huge key in this industry. Really trying to 
you know, put as many of those um, standards of, of normal working conditions in place for people, even though, again, we're in that funny gray area. Um, but generally, the trimmers work between 25 and 35 hours a week. Um, you know, December is certainly slower. We joke that we think that the trimmers um, get less work because the growers plan not to have to harvest right around Christmas because why would they want to, you right, know? Right, right. Uh, and that's fine. You know, we can plan for that. Um, but like I'm looking at our January schedule and it's it's totally insane. I think everyone who didn't harvest in December is harvesting <laughs> in January. <laughs> and then we also sort of lovingly call October Hemptober here in Colorado because all the big outdoor farms, um, that's a big, big time for them. So that can be really fun and exciting uh, little trips for the trimmers out to these really cool outdoor big big you know really really nice farms that's one of the funny things about outdoor isn't it that you know the idea of harvest i mean obviously there's lots of indoor in the country and sure. and there's certainly way uh more harvesting uh, taking place like as far as around the calendar but in volume you know harvest suddenly you're needed everywhere do you have you know a seasonal spike where you need to over hire just for harvest season and then you get back down to a more basic crew for the rest of the year you know, we we actually don't follow that kind of hiring practice. Once you're an employee with us, you're an employee. And we do our best to provide you hours consistently, you know. And so for us, it really is a balance of, of demanding excellence from our team so that the people that do stay with us are the best ones and then and then making sure that those people have work. And, and it's a delicate balance. I, you know, I do handle a lot of the hiring and firing and all the stuff in between. And I do find that, you know, I do want to be able to provide work for people immediately when I hire them. Um, but I do have to caution them that this is a business where there are lulls. And so we give our, our employees the opportunity to um, sort of create their own schedules in the sense that um, they're, they have some, some big flexibility there, um, which to, to that effect, if they need to have another part-time job to supplement this, we understand that that's part of the deal. You know, on that note, is it hard to find skilled trimmers, you know, to fill all the ranks? Because so many people say they've got experience and then like, you know, maybe they're too slow or distracted or sloppy or drunk or whatever. Yeah. So all those things have happened. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's part of why we have this, uh, supervisor in the field for each group of 12 trimmers that allows us to sort of regardless of what your resume says <laughs> really watch what you do in that first 30-day probation period and then if if we can't get you up to speed um in that first 30 days then then typically that'll be it for people who just can't cut the mustard and and sometimes you know the other the other side of the equation is true people find out that they really can't or don't enjoy um, the repetitive nature of the of the job, <laughs> and and so we do have people who will do it for a couple of weeks and then say, yeah, I don't want to do this. <laughs> 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 but for people that want to put their headphones on and you know listen to an awesome podcast like this one and 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 trim some plants and be with some great people, it's a it's a great job. The other cool thing is that we can hire people with some disabilities. Um, so that's pretty neat uh, because, you know, it's like you have a walker 
hey, man, if you can get into the facility and we'll make sure you can, then you can sit down and trim. And that's good for people who are retired. We have a lot of folks that just trim with us one or two days a week, you know, and, and have their own grows and, and, and just love it and have been with us for years and years. We have other people who are, you know, fast, young people for, directly from the industry in the last few years who just are amazing and, 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 and so, 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 so fast. Um, so that's, that's the other side of the workforce is people who've just been trained commercially in the last few years. But we don't hire anyone directly who doesn't have some sort of trimming experience. Um, if you don't have any trimming experience, then we have a trimmer training school sort of uh, program you can, can choose to go through. Um, you know, I've, I've met some folks who are on the autistic spectrum and it's amazing how appropriate trimming is for a lot of, uh, the folks oh, yeah. who have got the hyper focused ability and they can work for long periods of time. You just like, you know, you, you allow them to wear their headphones and let yeah. them know what you need done and boom. And you're like, damn, it was done fast and efficiently and in good cheer. And, you know, it's really great. It's amazing the kinds of people um, you know, who are able to work in our industry who it's have awesome. not necessarily had the opportunity before. Can, can folks get high on the job? No, no, no. Um, yeah, there's really strict regulations in place around use um, anywhere within 500 feet of a commercial facility, whether it's a grow or a store or an extraction facility. You can't use the product or, or even bring personal product into that facility. So technically when you go into a dispensary, you're not supposed to even have any cannabis already on you. And technically if they see that they have to ask you to leave. And, and if one of our trimmers is observed uh, using cannabis within 500 feet of a facility, we have to fire them that day because wow. they can lose their like their badge essentially to work in the industry for just that. I can imagine that for a lot of trimmers, that's a, that's a deal breaker right there. Like, listen, if I'm going to be trimming 30 hours a week, I want to be high for it. So no, no good, no good for me. Right. Well, you know, what you do at home uh, is your business. What, what time of day you do that is also your business. Uh, what you do when you leave the facility is your business, but what you do while you have to be at the facility, that's the key. So, you know, on a 15-minute break where you're not allowed to leave, you can go outside and stretch, but, you know, it's 15 minutes, you can't leave the facility, you can't smoke weed. Yeah. And, and that, you know, I feel like there's ways that people could probably get around that if their dosage requires, like, a morning use. They could maybe supplement with an edible or something else. I mean, no one is suggesting that, especially for a medical patient, they don't do what they need to do, but you can't be using the product on the job. That's the main thing. And that's, you know, true just across the board. And, and I think that that's the one, one of the big differences between, you know, what, what people think we do in this industry and what we do is that there really isn't a lot of use in, in the actual manifestation of the industry itself. That's sort of, a completely separate thing at this point. 
And I think the more the more commercial and commodity based it becomes, it, it's going to continue in that direction. I remember when everybody was working in medical and it was much less regulated and, and, and loose, you know, everybody would get high at the beginning of, you know, just about every business meeting. And, sure. and because that's how cannabis culture was, uh, you know, yeah. I, I found that frustrating a lot of time because even though I got to try some amazing, you know, flowers and oils from that people would bring to the meetings at the same time, so many of the folks would not remember the key points of the meeting or what they yeah. or what they committed to do and then I would have to send exactly. follow-up emails to remind them what they agreed to so even though even though I enjoy the social aspects of it um, I do see as as cannabis businesses are getting more serious the less people who are doing it um, you know cooked it's yeah I mean it's sort of like you know I guess the three martini lunch would be the closest equation you know and and even if you're in the beer industry, you're not testing beers at 9 a.m. every day. Like you just, you can't do it. It's just like in any industry where there's this quality to it, where there's some sort of, you know, state of alteration that's going to occur. I think that, you know, in this industry, the reality is you're trying to mitigate that weird gray area, that weird federal state gray area. And so I think this is one of the ways that they've done that. And then the other side of it is exactly what you're talking about. Professionally at 10 a.m., you know, would it be appropriate to pop a bottle of wine? Maybe on a special day, but probably not, (laughs) you know, (laughs) probably not if you want to get a lot done. Um, So what people need to do to take care of themselves medically, again, is another thing. But I would say recreational use in a meeting is really bad, especially because you could have 10 different people who respond to that particular strain super differently. So that could be one that's really like makes you really focused, but it may not work that way for this whole group of people that, you know, now you have to make decisions with. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that makes sense. So we're going to take another (laughs) short break and be right back. You are listening to Shaping Fire, and my guest today is Kristen Baldwin of Green Mountain Harvest. Businesses everywhere are constantly striving to reach out to people through advertising. We all know, though, that trying to reach a cannabis audience with a quality message is pretty difficult. That's why many people choose to advertise on the Shaping Fire podcast. Advertising on this show allows us time to talk about your product, service, or brand in a way that really lets people know what sets your company apart from others. Bold people who own companies know that getting into a relationship with their customers is essential. That is what we offer. We will explain your service or product and what sets it apart as desirable and help our audience get in contact with you. It's pretty simple, really. Advertising does not have to be all whiz-bang, smoke, and mirrors. Nowadays, I find that people prefer just to be spoken to calmly, accurately, and with good intentions. If you want to make your own commercial spot, you can do that too. Because the podcast is young, but growing at an exceptionally fast rate, if you become an advertiser on the Shaping Fire podcast now, you are going to pay a fraction of the cost we'll be asking for in just a few months. And yet everyone listening both now and to the back catalog of interviews later will hear about your company again and again for years. It's a great deal for you. Pay a small amount now because the show is new, but take advantage of the huge listening audience we will have forever. Do yourself a solid and contact us today for rates on podcast and newsletter advertising. Email hotspot at shapingfire.com to find out more. 
As a business owner, you are incredibly busy. In reality, you are responsible for everything your company does. You have so many responsibilities every single day that often you just don't have the time to really dig into something as deeply as you'd like. You know there is more that you could do to reach out to new customers and to encourage loyalty in the customers you already have, but you certainly don't have the time and you're not ready to hire someone full-time for that role either. For you, I recommend Blunt Branding. Blunt Branding principles Kirsten Nelson and Anthony Garcia are focused on improving your bottom line. You know, most marketing firms are excited to make your logo, packaging, and website very pretty, but they leave responsibility for improving your bottom line up to you. They don't want that kind of responsibility. But that is pretty much the most important part of marketing, right? Kirsten and Anthony will help you engage new customers, funnel them to your point of sale, and keep them coming back to you and telling their friends. No doubt, this is a paid commercial spot, but that does not mean they bought my opinion. I've worked with Blunt Branding on three projects now for various clients, and every single time they have done more than they have promised and over-delivered on results. I love how they generate new revenue and focus on that as the goal, instead of just making me a pretty logo. Similarly, every friend I've referred them to has come back to thank me, and that just does not happen every day. So grab a pen and paper because the website address is coming. If you want someone to implement marketing programs that feed your bottom line, give Blunt Branding a call. They will share proven techniques to increase your audience and generate sales while using cutting edge technology in the background that make all of this easy, automatic, and trackable. Go to shapingfire.com forward slash Blunt Branding to find out more. You can also click the link in our weekly newsletter. Blunt branding, marketing that makes you money. Welcome back. You are listening to Shaping Fire. I'm your host, Shango Los, and our guest this week is Kristen Baldwin, Director of Operations at Green Mountain Harvest. So before the break, we were talking about a lot of the specifics on, on not only running a business, but uh, working the best possible customer service with either the commercial growers or with personal growers. And you know, during the break, I was thinking about it, and it made me wonder about employee theft, because you know, sure. in, a, in a big commercial environment, you know, Maybe you can do something on the slide that the cameras don't see. And if you're some, you know, if you're in a real informal situation in somebody's home, you know, I can imagine, you know, being able to, to abscond with some there, you know, what's, what's your experience with employee theft? You know, is that much of an issue? Yeah. So, you know, we really, really, really just sort of impale with every ounce of our strength into our employees, how dumb it would be to try so we don't typically have a lot of problem with that. That being said, you know, people try all kinds of crazy things. Um, like in what? The, <laughs> like um, there was an incident in one of the very first dispensaries that I worked in where um, the employee, he was in on their trim team. And what he would do would be to put like several gloves over his glove and then he would successively put a butt in each glove and stick it in his pocket as mm. he was trimming. Um, but, you know, I don't think that he really understood that his Adidas like running pants were v very much showing the outline of these, like what looked like golf balls in his pockets. <laughs> and so, you know, I noticed this and it, <sighs> 
I couldn't figure out what was going on because he definitely didn't have golf balls in his pocket when he came to work. Um, so that was one of those situations where, you know, I think it seemed like a good plan at the outset, but in, in execution, particularly with the number of cameras that he was visible on, it just did not go well for him. Yeah, I can imagine that. You know, and what I find is, you know, there's so much cannabis just around in the industry. Um, it's kind of a really dumb play to steal it's from a dumb work. Play. You know, it really it's is. It's just so easy. To, you know, everybody's got it in the industry. So why would you then go and risk your job to steal it? Right. But here's a funny thing. Like, you know, even at the beginning, there was a whole point of contention around, well, what do you do with the, the little buds that fall on the floor? Right? Yeah. Like, oh, it's floor weed. That just kind of like, in the early days, that was just sort of going out the door. I was floor weed, yeah. you know? Um, but even that, in the long term, had to be accounted for. And there had to be standards of operation put in place to say, no, you have to actually take that back and weigh it and say, this is how much we wasted and and account for it and then destroy it. You can't just sweep it up and stick it in a jar and take it home. <laughs> so, so let's, let's flip that dynamic around instead, yeah. instead of the, the trimmer stealing, like how, let's talk about arbitrage. Like what if, yeah. what if you get like a, uh, you know, somebody who's got a personal grow and in lieu of paying you for some or all of it, they want to give you your trim or give you their right. trim for you to then like resell to, you know, a BHO sure. person or something. Does, is that, is that a, is that, legal b is that something that you ever come across right so no that's not legal you know the only intermediary we would be in that process would be if we're brought in to trim and then they're separating those things out and they send it with a licensed courier from their operation or another to take that to an operator we can't we can't have the product at any point that's the the nature of the difference in our licensing doesn't allow us to to have it to move it to grow it to sell it nothing like that because that requires a much different license than what we have we're uh, an ancillary vendor so we don't we don't you can't, you can't play middleman on, on the deals we can't yeah. yeah we all that stuff is RFID tagged so essentially we don't own or move any RFID tagged product. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah. so let's, let's talk about licenses in a different way. So up to this point, we've been talking about either having a, a license to do a cannabis business or uh, an individual person having their badge, which allows them to work in the industry. But sure. let's, but you know, I have not come across actually I mean, you're the only one, actually. You're the, you're the first trim company that I've come across, which is why I was so curious to have you on the show. And, you know, I've been, I've been all over the country talking to people at this point. And so I think yeah. that, you know, the days of trimming businesses uh, have, have now, have now arrived and, yeah, and you're sure. going to be having a lot more competition soon. Um, so, so are you looking to other states to license your intellectual property and, you know, not, not a franchise, right? Cause we all understand that franchising yes. isn't legal, but, but, you know, are you looking right. to expand the green mountain harvest name into other states? We are absolutely. Uh, yeah, we have business opportunities now available in any state where it's medical or 
retail or somewhere in between, um, we are available to create business opportunities for, you know, people who want to do this there. And when the owner, Susan Jakovsky, started this six years ago, she really saw a need for this in the industry and no one else was doing it. And she had to go to the state and say, this is what I want to do. Um, and they said, wow, that's a really good idea. We hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> you know, that didn't, hadn't even crossed anybody's mind that this was a really valuable and necessary piece of the puzzle to make all this work. Um, so we have lots of different services available to that end. We sometimes just go and we'll train teams of trimmers for people that already have an existing operation and, and want to have an on-site team. So we've sent people to other states and we'll send, uh, you know, again, some of our supervisors and Susan, the owner, will go and they um, stay for a few days or a week or two and they get everybody up to speed. That's one option. The other option is to actually, you know, become a partner, a Green Mountain Harvest partner and, and, and carry that name into another state. And in that case, then, you know, you get a huge amount of our intellectual property and our standard practices and how we, how we operate in that gray area successfully, (laughs) (laughs) which is, which is kind of part of the key for sure. Let's, let's circle back to your, you mentioning uh, Susan going to the state to try to get the blessing for this kind of a business model, because yeah. that is a really important entrepreneurial point. And right. a, lo- a lot of people are like, oh, now that cannabis is legal, I'm just going to start a business and I don't have to be an activist. <laughs> but but right. I think that all entrepreneurs in cannabis have to remain activists. I mean, not only Absolutely. to make sure that your, your local government doesn't pass some kind of moratorium that's going right. to suddenly, um, you know, tie your hands. But what Susan did, you know, Susan had to come up not only with the business idea, but then she had to lobby for it with regulators so that there was a license allowance for it. And I think that's a, you know, Absolutely. that's extra credit to Susan for stepping no up and following that. And I think that's a good lesson for everybody that, you know, you might have a groundbreaking idea and you're going to have to sell it to your regulators. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's all about being part of the movement overall. And so you may have a great idea and you may be really scared about, you know, coming out of a a gray market or a black market with that idea. But unless you stand up and unless you become part of the movement and say, this is what I'm doing and this is why it's important, then, you know, you you don't move us all forward as a whole. And, And that's really what she did was say, Not only do I want to have, you know, provide a safe way to um, handle the product for this particular point in its process, but also what does a business model look like that really supports its employees um, as if this were any other industry? You have to have workman's comp. You have to make people employees and not have them work as contract labor, um, which is so often what people are more apt to do because it's easier for the employer, but it, it provides the employee no protection. <laughs> they're not an employee. They're just, they're not, they have no protection. So Susan really did say, I want to do this, but I want to do this right. And what does this look like? And got amazing certifications put in, in place for our company that sort of say we are the most compliant and this is how that looks. And and that's why I was excited to come and work with her after 
years of doing other things in the industry for sure. And and I think that it really helps the industry as a whole when people like Susan provide that leadership because then the regulators can point and say, look, here's a good actor who's doing it the right way, yeah. who is doing the things that, that cause us to feel more safe as regulators. And then, yeah. you know, hopefully eventually some of those regulations can be a little loosened so that they don't cost as much um, to, for companies to comply. But for right. now, uh, you know, we've got this strange dance between entrepreneurs and regulators of, of, you know, what can the entrepreneurs get away with versus the regulators wanting to, you know, regulate or, and or ban everything because they're afraid of Absolutely. risk. Absolutely. And that's, and, and that's why people have to be really vocal and they have to get out there. And, you know, even to the point of for children who are using cannabis patches in schools, that was a big, big hurdle that we had to overcome here in Colorado helping people understand that this is a medicine and that these kids are using it. They're not getting high <laughs> at school. A kid in a wheelchair um, who's can move their arms solely because they've started using these patches isn't getting high. They're having a better quality of life. Um, so, so even something as, as, you know, simple as that takes a huge group of people and a lot of effort and a lot of people coming forward. Um, so, you know, what I would say to anyone in those states that where it's still kind of gray is don't, don't stay in the dark, just get out there and be vocal and, and get, and, and get ready to sort of be part of something special because, you know, the <laughs> amazing other side of this is that after you've been in a state where it's gone recreational and you've supported the the medical market and you've seen, you know, what's happened here in Colorado, some of the outcomes with people getting out of jail and all the cool stuff that happens on the side with the medical research and the kids getting better and the, and the seizures going away. It's, it's just, it's worth coming out of the dark. And, you know, like Susan is going to Pennsylvania, for example, where, you know, to speak at a conference that's all just for doctors who are, you know, just, just getting the doctors on board is crucial. So, um, you know, there's, there's work to be done in every state and, 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 and what I say is just be brave and go do it. Thanks for being on the show today, Kristen. Thank you. It's my pleasure. How exciting. Thank you for doing such good work and getting this information out there. Kristen Baldwin is Director of Operations of Green Mountain Harvest. You can find out more at GreenMountainHarvest.com. You can find more episodes of the Shaping Fire podcast and subscribe to the show at ShapingFire.com and on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and Google Play. On the Shaping Fire website, you can also subscribe to the weekly newsletter for insights into the latest cannabis news and product reviews. On the Shaping Fire website, you will also find transcripts of today's podcast as well. For information on me and where I'll be speaking, you can check out shangolos.com. Thanks a bunch to Gonchpreneur for having me back for a visit. Be sure to check out Gonchpreneur every day for the latest cannabis news. I've been your host, Shango Lose. <laughs>